Well, amen. Uh, what a great opportunity to be together and open God's word today. So if you've got your scriptures, uh, take a copy of it and open it up to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, as uh, we look at a message today entitled, Urgent Care. Urgent Care. Right in the middle of our text, uh, Paul says, And we urge you, brothers... And so there's some things that are in this text that are, are raised up to a level that uh, need to be taken note of that are very important. Urgent care. Um, I remember a few years ago, uh, Sue and I were on a pastors and wives retreat down in uh, Phoenix. And uh, she got up in the morning and her hip, I don't know what happened, but her hip was in bad, bad shape. And uh, we needed to get to a hospital. There was that much pain. And so uh, we packed up and uh, went over and went into the emergency because we needed urgent care. And I uh, was thankful to live in a part of the world where that was all possible. And, and they took care of us and did tests. And we had the coverage to make it all happen. But all I knew that morning when we got up is we needed care. We needed it. And, and Paul, in this message, is going to uh, lay out for us a bunch of things uh, for the church and how the church is supposed to act and react and how we are to live in the midst of, of these days, of trying days. And we find it right in the middle of this text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So would you stand with me? I want to read verses uh, 12 to 24, and then we'll dive right into uh, this message. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for these words that uh, Paul wrote to this very dear church and how it was instructive for them. I pray, Lord, that it would be instructive for us as well. So lead us, God. Open our hearts to hear and listen to what you're saying and then have faith to apply these things that we would live out our lives sanctified more and more each day, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. You can take your seats. Paul is writing this letter to the Thessalonians. This was a gentle church that Paul had visited on his second missionary journey. He was forced to flee, though, due to opposition from the Jews. Later, he sends Timothy to go and be with them and to lead the church. And, um, and Timothy comes and gives a report back on how things are going. And this letter, the first part of it, the first chapters of it, are about encouragement and assurance. Um, they remind him of the Lord's coming. Also, there was some fear in the church that they had missed it. And, and so he lets them know, you have not missed the Lord's coming. 
Um, and then he tells them to be at peace and to give thanks. And all of this is what's gone on. And, and now we come to this part of the text. We've got that therefore in verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up just as you are doing. And, um, and so I want to give us three things today, uh, three keys to a healthy church. It's not the only things, but these are the things that Paul talked about with this church as he's wrapping up this letter. And the first one is a healthy church responds to godly leadership. A healthy church responds to godly leadership. Look at verses 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Now that could be a bit of a self-serving verse, being one of the interim elders and the lead in all of this. It's like, so just do what that says. Would you please all just do that, right? I realize it's not quite that simple. Um, Really godly leadership is, um, when I think about those verses, my mind first went to, it's one thing to ask the people to follow godly leadership, It's another thing altogether to be godly leadership. So from my perspective, don't ask people to to do something, to follow after something, if you're not striving to live for that, if you're not striving to work to that end. And that's the side of this that leadership needs to own. And leadership in this case, I don't believe is just the elders. It can be the staff who are here. It can be Pastor Jason. It can be Mark Hosh. It can be Matt with the youth ministry. It can be whoever it is who is leading. But the church is called to follow after godly and healthy godly leadership. Um, Some words that are used in this that are are struggling words in our North American context. It talks about those who are in authority over you. Uh, We just wrestle, we just bristle against those words. We don't want to be under anything. And yet we realize that in Jesus Christ, we need to be under his authority and submissive to his leadership. And but. We're to respond to those who are in authority over you. They have a, a responsibility to labor among you and to admonish you. The leadership in any church is to strive together. We serve together. We're not on a pedestal. We're not the, the great leaders and everybody else just do what we say. We're, we're, we're called to be people who labor together on the team and strive together for the glory of God who labor among you, but also who admonish you. And there are times that leadership need to say the hard thing. They need to say a difficult thing. So long as it lines up to the word of God, he's telling them you need, you need to come under that. You need to listen to that. You need to hear what's being said. Those who admonish you. Um, their position is in the Lord. And so whenever you come to a place of struggle with what leadership is, you have to understand the in the Lord piece and the, the tension that that creates for us, right? In the Lord in the Lord. Again, I think about that from my perspective and the weight that that causes on me to to seek, to strive, to lead well, to do it in ways that honor the Lord Jesus Christ so that people aren't questioning that. That's not a, a struggle for them. Help us, God, as we lead. Whatever your role is in leading in the Lord, to esteem them very highly in love uh, because of their work. You know, one of the great encouragements for me over the last number of weeks is in the midst of the struggle that we've worked our way and are working our way through in the church, one of the things that I have been just so blessed by is that people who don't agree um, maybe think things should have happened differently. I've seen in everyone a sense of love, a sense of compassion, 
a sense of how do we figure this out? How do we do this right? How do we do this well? And I love that that's part of this verse. To esteem them very highly in love because of their work and because of what they're called to. Um, a healthy church responds to godly leadership. I wanted to make that point because it's in the text. I, one of the things about when you preach through the Bible, you can't leave out the parts that would be, you know, it would have been just easier to start this message at verse 12. Um, excuse me, at verse 14 and leave verses 12 and 13 out. But they're there. And uh, so we, we talk about them, we handle them. And, but that's not where I wanted to make the major focus of this message today. The major focus of this message for me is really the second point. A healthy church serves with passion. A healthy church serves with passion. I get the impression that Paul is writing this letter and he's got like one piece of parchment left and he's got like this much space at the bottom and he's got this much stuff he still needs to say. And so have you ever been there like you're writing a card to someone and you're writing it? Who writes cards anymore, right? But when you're old like me, you're writing a card and you started it off and you're writing big letters because you didn't know what you were going to say. And then you get to the bottom and you're like, oh my goodness, I got like three more sentences. And as you get to the bottom, the letters get smaller and smaller and smaller and you're just trying to cram every word in. I think that's what's going on here for him. I think he's coming to the end. There's this much parchment left. Sanctified imagination. I don't know if this is true or not. So just give that to me. But he's got this that he still needs to say. And he's going to say it. And he wants to just pour it out uh, for them. And it's kind of like drinking from the fire hose as you come to the end of the book. There's been all of this encouragement, all of these things. And now he comes to this. And he lays out for them what it means to serve with passion in a healthy, healthy church. He says, and we urge you, brothers. Um, same root word from Romans 12, 1 and 2. We beseech you, therefore, brethren. It's, it's, a, it's a strong word. It's not a passive word. It's, a take it, it's not a take it or leave it kind of thing. This is the church, church. This is what we need to do. This is what we need to be about. You're doing so well in so many things. Now, let me just kind of give you the hit list of keep your eyes on the right balls. Keep your eyes doing the right things. And so he lays a whole bunch of them out for us. As was mentioned, it's going to be the foundation of our prayer night as we uh, come up to this coming Wednesday. I think Mark said Thursday. So um, I messed that up for Pastor Jason the last time and we had to move the thing to Thursday night because I made that mistake. I'm not going to allow that to happen again. So that's the edit right now in the message. That prayer night is on Wednesday at seven o'clock, right? Thank you. All right. And so, um, but this part of the message is going to be the foundation of that. How are we doing as a church in these things? The things that Paul pours out through this fire hose for them. How are we doing in those things? And uh, there's a whole list of them. Um, he start out, starts out with, in verses 14 to 22. Let me read it again so you get a sense of it. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So the first one, admonish the idle. 
admonish the idle. If you turn over probably one page in your Bible to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to, to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Uh, probably a group of people in the church who were uh, sitting around, they weren't pulling their weight, they maybe didn't have a job, and, and they kept leaning in on other people. They kept trying to you know, suck out of the system whatever uh, they could get. First um, Timothy 5.13 says, Besides that, they learned to be idlers, going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. Yeah. Do you ever notice when you have nothing to do, you end up doing the wrong things? When you have too much spare time, when you have nothing going on, where do you go? You don't, you don't generally go to a good place, uh, especially if you're a lazy person, especially if you're struggling with this. And, and so he starts, he says, admonish the idol. Admonish the idol. It literally means to warn them. Um, Put that sense into someone's head. They're being idle. It's a military term. You are out of step. Uh, you are being unruly. You are, and so, and Paul talks about people who are idle, people who aren't involved, people who are, you need to challenge them. You need to admonish them. You need to, you need to set them straight. Um, other places in scripture, like if you don't work, what? You don't eat, right? And we live in a society where you don't work and we just pour all kinds of stuff on you, right? I'm not talking about the person who lost their job, is diligently out looking for a job. I've always said, if you don't have a job, your full-time job is to find a job, right? Just get out and keep on going and trust the Lord and watch how he will work. We're not talking about those kind of people. We're talking about the people who sit at home and, and they're happy just to get the check and let somebody else pay the bills for them. And like, that's the society we live in. He says, you need to admonish those kind of people. Um, I thought about that in the reality of the context of the church today and how it's so easy to become lazy even in our worship and we become idle. Um, it's easier to sit at home, leave your pajamas on, have a cup of coffee. Sorry if that's you right now, but you need to hear the word of God. Admonish the idol. Why, why aren't you engaged? There could be good reasons you're not here, but are you serving still in the church? Are you finding ways to be engaged in what's going on? Paul, the very first thing he puts on his list, he says to them, admonish the idol. But he goes on, the second thing he says, encourage the faint-hearted Encourage the faint-hearted, um, literally the small-souled, or those who lack boldness. Philippians 1, 29 and 30 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and, and now hear that I still have. Now, we need to show an example. We need to be a model. Um, we need to take people by the hand. Uh, there are people during this pandemic, there are people during these days who are, are small-souled and they, lock, they lack in boldness and, and they have become faint-hearted. They're, they're, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know. Um, 
I was on a call with some of our pastors this week, and I don't believe they're faint-hearted men, but in the journey of just going through this again and possibilities of more shutdowns and more, it's just like, oh, I just don't know if I can do this anymore, right? How do we, how do we take them by the hand? How do we encourage them? How do, how do we help them? Um, here's the third thing he says, help the weak. Help the weak. The weak is not speaking specifically of, of people who are um, physically weak. Um, this is people who are fragile in their faith and they're susceptible to sin. Um, maybe they've gone through a tough set of circumstances and, and they are just at the point of, I, I don't know how I can go on. I don't know how I can move. And Galatians chapter 6 um, if you flip back a few pages in your Bible, um, Galatians chapter six, verses one and two. Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on your souls, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When he talks about helping the weak, you know, the scriptures talk about the weaker brother. And, and not allowing the weaker, not causing the weaker brother to stumble, okay? So let me tell you who the weaker brother is not. The weaker brother is not a person who you disagree with. Um, sometimes I think we say, well, no, I, I don't want to offend him because he's a weaker brother. No, some people are, they're just so committed to what they think. What you do is not going to cause them to stumble. It's not going to cause them to fall. You might even cause them to be more entrenched in what they were thinking than they were before. That's not a weaker brother. A weaker brother is the person who, by what you're doing, you're going to devastate, you're going to harm their faith. And, and hey, church, hey, individual, if there's somebody out there and something you're going to do is going to cause their faith to stumble, then just don't do it. Paul's like, I won't eat meat. I don't want to be a vegetarian. That's what he said. No, he didn't. I won't eat meat for the sake of that brother if it's going to cause them to stumble, if it's going to cause their faith to waver, I'll stop doing that thing. It's talking about the love priority, the care priority for the other person. And and maybe there's someone you know who's struggling with something and they're watching you and help the weak, help them. Set aside your agenda. Put aside your rights. Not a big deal in this church wearing masks, um, but in some churches, it's like a big, big deal. And I'm like, what is wrong with you people? Um, Now, I get it. Everybody's got their own sense of who's the authority on these things, and we all have our experts and all the rest. I I was preaching down in Niagara, and uh, we're told, like here, wear a mask, wear a mask. And uh, I said, um, hey, nobody's telling me what I can say from God's word. Nobody's telling us what we can teach. You cross that line. There, are, there is a line somewhere, right? But wearing a mask is not the line, right? And so why are we allowing that division to happen? Why are we allowing that struggle to help it to happen? Let's, let's encourage one another. Let's help each other. Let's lay aside our rights for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help the weak. Next thing he says is be patient with them all. Be patient with them all. Ephesians 4.2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Um, 
in back in Galatians again, in chapter five, um, it says this. Let me get there. Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such, there is no law. Be patient with them all. First Timothy 1, 6, but I receive mercy for this reason that in me as, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You know, if there's one of these things on the list that I just kind of wished wasn't there, it's probably this one. Like, sometimes people are just a royal pain in the neck. And he's like, uh, yeah, Pastor Paul, patience. Patience. Patience like Paul experienced in Christ saving him. Um, Patience. Bearing the burden. How about God's patience for your sin and my sin? Your, our long-suffering for one another should be evidenced out of Christ's long-suffering for us. And <clears throat> excuse me. so as Paul is coming to this church and he's laying out for them through this fire hose, all these things that uh, this is what a healthy church would be doing. Be patient with them all. People who disagree with you, be, be patient with them. Help them. Uh, help them to look from God's word. Help them to see from the truth. Be patient with them all. Who have you lost patience with? Who do you need to step back and go, boy, oh boy, oh boy. I need to take another run at that. I need to, I need to have some long suffering in my life because of the long suffering that Jesus Christ had for me. Be, be patient with them all. He goes on to the next one. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good. Isn't that uh, so not like us? We, we are like, you did that to me, therefore I'm going to do this to you. You did this to me, therefore to be even for the balance of the scale to happen. It's gonna be like this. And, and Paul says to them, see that no one repays evil for evil but always seek to do good. Hey, in Proverbs 20, 22, it says, uh, do not say I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. He will deliver you. Hebrews 10, 30, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. I've said this before, it's preaching to the preacher right now, but you know, sometimes we get into this vengeance mode and you took a strip off of me, you hurt me, therefore I need to hurt you. Um, Here's the principle I'm learning, still learning in my life every day. Don't take from God the things that God says are his to do. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You take it and you're taking on yourself what God said is his thing to do. You let him do that work. You don't want to be out of step with God in his work when he's calling us to do one thing in our life, to persevere and to endure and to trust and to watch. And and you think, no, no, I can short circuit this, God. I can get this fixed by the end of the day and the Lord's God. I got some other lessons then that you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to learn this a different way. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And, uh, I'm reminded of that often in my life. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always, always seek to do good. I wrote this down. At some point, 
disobedient sheep do evil to obedient ones. At some point, it will happen. Disobedient sheep do evil to obedient ones. The only one who has the right to retaliate and to fix the situation is the Lord himself. You be patient. You be patient. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good. Here's another thing. The next one, just kind of turning the corner a little bit. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Um, in Acts 15, verse 3, it says, So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversation of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all of the brothers. Uh, Paul, in his journeys, went through all kinds of struggle and hurt and pain. And yet, as he travels, this picture of rejoicing, um, rejoicing. Um, again, back over a few pages in the scriptures to um, Philippians. And in Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, it says this. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Wow. You hear what that says? Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, I find it easy to rejoice when things are going well. I find it easy to rejoice when life is easy. Um, But do I find it easy to find rejoicing in what God is doing in the difficult time? And Paul learned that. He was learning that. And we need to do that. Learning to be people who rejoice in all, all kinds of circumstances. Rejoicing always. Rejoice because of God's righteous character. Rejoice because of God's redemptive work. If, if you don't have anything else to be thankful for today, sit down with somebody who you know who loves the Lord and, and tell them that and ask them to help you create a list. And they'll create a list with you. Right? There's so much for us to be thankful for. But if you can't think of anything else, as a follower of Jesus Christ, go back to the day you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and rejoice in that day. Rejoice in that God worked in your life and he brought you from death to life. He showed you that the work of Jesus Christ was for you and you trusted him, you accepted him by faith and this amazing salvation you have, although life might be difficult now, is leading towards something that's going to be awesome for eternity. And that's what God is doing. Rejoice always. There's always things to be thankful for. There's always things to rejoice in. I've just been watching on the news a young boy in Hamilton, 11 years old, who was hit by a car and died this week. His, his dad is on staff at West Highland Baptist Church. And uh, I, I read some of the stuff his dad has written this week. And uh, I can't imagine how devastating their lives are right now. Little guy hit in some kind of a crosswalk in an accident and he's gone. And his dad was, one of the things I read was rejoicing that because his son knew Jesus Christ, they were gonna see him again right? Like you think your life's hard, but he was finding a way to rejoice and be thankful in the midst of the absolute utter agony that they're going through this week, um, to be thankful in those things, um, because his son knew Jesus Christ. Be thankful in the redemptive work that is yours. 
And if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you can have that hope in the midst of hard days. And they are hard days for us, difficult days. They're hard and difficult because we've never experienced these kind of things before. Other people around the world look at us and like, what's the big deal? But for us, this is a big deal because we haven't experienced these things. Um, But you can go back with thanksgiving to the redemptive work of Christ. God's sovereignty in our lives, be thankful. God's promise for your future. God's answered prayer in your life. The appreciation of the gift of God's word for us to rejoice in that, in genuine fellowship that we have with one another, to spur one another on, to love and good deeds. And again, in the saving proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. The next thing he says is pray without ceasing. It's to be constantly in prayer. It doesn't mean you ever, you don't stop praying. It, but it means in your, your, your life is made up of just this sense of constantly coming before the Lord in prayer and making him the theme of what's going on in your life. Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says, As a deer pants for flowing stream, so my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before my God? Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances is the next thing he says. Being thankless, ready, is the spirit of the unregenerate heart. Being thankless is the spirit of the unregenerate heart. Being thankful is the spirit of the regenerate heart. Uh, Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Being thankless is the spirit of the unregenerate heart. And and so is your heart, is your spirit towards um, filled with thanksgiving, giving thanks in all circumstances, even when it's difficult, knowing God is in control. He's leading in my life. Life, this will work out for him and for his glory. Be, be thankful in all circumstances, being thankful regardless of the circumstances. In Acts 5.41, and when they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, for the name of Jesus Christ. And so they walk out of the meeting and they have been rebuked. They have been hurt. They have been, they left the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James 1, 2. Philippians 2, 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Hey, church, give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances, as I said, I was talking with some pastors this week and, and some are facing shutdown, um, um, Toronto North and uh, the church in, uh, in Mississauga and um, the church in Toronto West. They, they can't have church today. They can't do this. Um, up in uh, Calgary North, Redemption Calgary North, the school that they meet in uh, Bear Paw or something like that is called, um, they had an outbreak in their school. Um, where this church meets, and, and therefore the church was shut down. So they can't have church, right? And uh, in all circumstances, give thanks, because God will work his will. God will do his work in his way. Here's another one. Do not quench the spirit. It means to put out or to stifle 
or to extinguish um, God's working in you in Jesus Christ. Don't do anything that's going to put out that work. Do not be, uh, um, do not be like a, a, a bucket of water poured on a fire because of, of what you're doing. Don't quench the spirit. What's God's spirit leading you to do? Not, not what are people suggesting you do. But you know before God, this is what I should be doing. Don't quench the spirit. Don't put out the spirit. Don't through a bitter spirit or through an unforgiving spirit or a hurt spirit, a quench the working of God in your life. He's challenging the church with so many different things. But if we're going to be churches that honor Jesus Christ, these are the kind of things that we need. Um, grant us strength to stay on the path of sanctification, God. Do not despise prophecy. The verbal word or the written word um, and I like to say it this way. Don't ever accept the things that I say just because I say them. Um, but test them by the word. But don't ignore them. The written word is never to be taken lightly. God has given us his word. And we aren't to ignore it. We are to listen to it. We are to read it. We are to do it. He goes on and he says, test everything. Hold fast to what is good. In Titus 3, 8 and 11, it says, uh, the saying is trustworthy and I want you want to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, discussions about masks. Okay, I put that part in. And quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up the vision after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and he is self-condemned. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. What does God's word say? Hold fast to God's word. And so in these two points, he's getting the church focused on the word of God. He's already focused us on prayer. Now he's focusing on the word of God. Listen to what it says. Test what it says and do what it says. And then the last thing he says is abstain from every form of evil. Every form. Abstain from every form of evil. Now the interesting thing in my mind about that point is like most of the forms of evil, we don't have a problem with because we're already abstaining from them. Yeah, but what's the forms of evil you're not abstaining from? Abstain from every form of evil. Why? So that Jesus Christ will get the glory and all of that. Well, that's quite a list, right? It's quite a list. Uh, guess what? We can't do this. We can't do this. So take a breath. And take a deep breath. And then go back and look down in your scripture at verses 23 and 24. Because a healthy church, this is the last point, a healthy church knows where its hope comes from. A healthy church knows where its hope comes from. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. See, with God's help, all things are possible. It starts out with, and now the God of peace. And now the God of peace. Um, the God is about to do this work in you. He's about to do his part. He will sanctify you. I think sometimes we think salvation is of God 
and justification, like that whole picture, like that's the God part. Now the sanctification part is our part. We're the ones who are like, we're stumbling on that road. We're not what we should be. We're not what we will be. All that stuff I always say. But we think, oh, that's our part to do. Now it's all about works. God is just as involved in our sanctification as he is in our salvation. It's God who sanctifies us as we yield ourselves, as we set aside our, pride, our sin, as we set aside our selfishness, as we set aside our pride. The great news is you're not on this journey by yourself. So, so these uh, 12 things that Paul's just laid out for them, you're like, how are we ever going to do this? You're not. God is going to do this in you a little bit every day, growing up more and more for the glory of Jesus Christ. God, help us to remember where our hope comes from, where our help comes from. He's the one who will sanctify you completely. He's the one who will make your body, soul, and spirit blameless. He is the one who will do this work as we are yielded to him. Do we have a part? Of course we have a part. But it's so encouraging to me that that list, which is too much for me, is not too much with God's help. And a little bit each day, a little bit each day. Well, so what? So what? Paul comes to the end of this book, this this amazing book, amazing story. You should go home and read it this afternoon. But this book, and, and then he just says, like, follow your leaders. Follow after godly people who are leading you. But then he comes to this. He says, this is, this is what our church should look like. These are the kind of things when people inside the church look at each other and when people outside of the church look at us, this is what we should look like. These are the things that we should be aspiring to. These are the things he says, I urge you, I beg you, I beseech you. Do these things for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the church that Christ died for. Do these things. But I'm not asking you to do them alone. I will be your helper. I will be your, the, the source that you need so that you can be sanctified these things growing up in the, in the image of Jesus Christ for his fame. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. These verses are in some ways so basic and yet, Lord, some days they're so far away from the reality of our lives. So I pray, Father, that you would continue to lead us as your children who are part of your church, that we'd be part of a healthy church, a healthy church, Father, that is led by by people who honor you and are growing in you and are desiring you, a healthy church that is desiring to look like the things that Paul laid out. It's not an exhaustive list. It's not everything, but hey, we can start there. But understanding, God, we need your strength to do it. So where we have done things in our own strength, bring us to repentance for these things. Where we have lacked faith to do things, Lord, give us the faith to step out, believing you will go with us, you will be our helper. Father, but work for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ in his church. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.